Hi, I'm John Stevens. This is Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy. This is Pod Have Mercy. Well, what I thought we'd do today is um, we'll let you just kind of share whatever you want to share and update what's going on. And then we had a few questions from some people. You probably will address a lot of them, I would think, basic sure. things. But I want to start uh, with my wife, my wife, Stephanie, as I was coming over here, she said, oh, you're you're talking with Mark Boom today. And I said, yes. And I said, uh, do you have a question for him? And she said, well, it's probably not one he can answer. And I said, well, honey, do you just ask it anyway? I mean, Mark knows everything. And <laughs> so she said, this was... Right, this I'm already <laughs> my wife calling, calling no way on that. So, so then in, in my classic wife's form, she said, all right, fine. Ask him, when is this crap going to be over? So your first question is, <laughs> when is this crap going to be over? And after you answer that, why don't you just share whatever you've got that's good for us as far as where we are in Houston and what's going on across okay. the nation and just everything else with vaccines and the virus. So, Yeah, you bet. Well, first off, not soon enough. I mean, that's unfortunately the yeah. answer. But you know, we are long past the halfway point, you know, I think, and I think we have cause for hope. Um, mm. So, you know, if I, if I had to predict when things start feeling a great deal more normal, now let me define that really clearly. That is not normal. That is not pre-pandemic, everything's hunky-dory, but where, you know, we go back to school without, you know, worrying constantly. We actually go to some big sporting events. We may still wear masks at some of those kinds of things. I think we can get there by fall, um, you know, but a lot has to happen between now and then. Um, you know, the biggest of those being that we got to get the community vaccinated. And, you know, we have to hope, obviously, we don't see any mutations that would change the efficacy of the vaccines, which there's no indication of them. And it just be real clear. So, you know, if I were to talk about the situation now in Houston, it's tough. Um, uh, if we look, I'll, I'll talk about Houston Methodist, but then extrapolate sure. across our community. We, we are basically at the highest numbers we've seen right at, so pretty much at the peak we saw in June, July. I mean, the peak actually happened, you know, about 12 days, 13 days, something like that into July. So across Houston Methodist, um, you know, when I look at my noon report today, I think we have 760 something people in a bed that are connected to uh, either having been diagnosed with COVID or they've been in so long, they actually now don't need some of the precautions because they're cleared from the COVID, but they're still really sick. Um, so it's quite stressful. And um, that's a little bit above where we were uh, this summer. Um, another 40, 50 people in workup. So you start getting pushing 800 in aggregate of our 2,300 beds are dedicated to patients who are uh, being treated for COVID. That's consistent and slightly higher than really we peaked this summer. The, the bright news in that, a couple things. One is um, the ICU utilization is lower. So we still aren't using as many ICU beds. So we're at all-time records in the regular medical surgical beds. I'll take that any day over ICU because the patients are less sick. So that means obviously yeah. ultimately people do better. Uh, and it's less stressful for them, but also from a staffing perspective, you know, an ICU is a one-to-one -one or one-to-two nursing staffing, and a, and a floor is typically a one-to-four, um, you know, staffing with a nurse. And, you know, during a pandemic, you most certainly can do a one-to-five or one-to-six if you have to, and do that very safely. Um, and so um, that is a bit of good news. You know, the, the other good news, and, and this is where I'll ask everybody listening, please keep thanking your hospital staff that you know, your friends who work in hospitals and healthcare, your physicians, nurses, others, they're working, you know, their, their rear ends off, quite frankly. Um, and, but they're seasoned veterans now. Now seasoned veterans can get really tired. They're tired, they're exhausted, this is difficult, but they've been there, they've done that, they know how to do that. And so they're able to manage that large number of patients very effectively, but very clearly, none of us want to see that keep going up. And the challenge and the concern we have looking at the numbers in Houston is most of our modeling suggests at least two to three more weeks of growth from, from today. Um, I'm hoping we're wrong. Models have been wrong before, and I'm hoping we're wrong, and actually it starts to bend, but it, we're far from that. What we're seeing and we saw over the holidays was the highest percent of positive tests that we've ever seen at Houston Methodist. So in July, we peaked out at about 28 and a half percent. So of 100 people who got, you know, got tested, 28 and some percentage of a person were, were positive for COVID. Um, 
this past couple of weeks, we peaked out at 33%. Now that may have been a little noise in the holiday because you know, if you're not real sick, you kind of avoid testing during the holiday. So it may be a hair overstated. We're running in about the 29% range now, whether that was a little bit of a peak, which I'm hoping it was, but I don't think it was, or whether it was more just some artifact over the holidays, we'll sort out here. Um, the numbers of people testing positive at a, at a Houston Methodist, for instance, are at about 75, 80% of what they were at peak. So not quite as many people at peak, but it's just been this sort of inexorable rise that we've been seeing here. Um, treatments pretty much, you know, have not dramatically changed over the last few months. There's not been any major new advances uh, for inpatient therapy other than continuing to gain experience. So we continue to see better, better results. The one thing that's really changed on the front end for the outpatient setting is the availability of monoclonal antibodies. Um, these are uh, two different ones. Regeneron is the one that President Trump received, if you recall, right as he got admitted to the hospital. Uh, Eli Lilly has another one called Bamlanivimab. I've had to practice saying that for the last three months. Um, it's a mouthful. Um, both of those basically mimic what we were doing with the convalescent plasma. And we still use convalescent plasma all the time, um, but they kind of manufactured antibodies in a vat basically. And now you give them to people. It's, a, it's an infusion. So it takes an hour of infusion and an hour on either end. So it's about a three hour process. And anyone over 65, anyone who's 55 to 64 who has heart disease or lung disease, and anyone who has got a body mass index over 35, chronic kidney disease, immunological disorders, uh, diabetes um, uh, is eligible for that treatment. So we try to find people like that uh, and get them that treatment. The studies are not conclusive, but they suggest they really drive down the number of people needing hospitalization and emergency room. I can tell you through, we've done almost 1600 treatments now, which I mean, there's nowhere other than maybe Mayo Clinic and Cleveland Clinic in the country that's got numbers like that. Yeah. Um, of the first uh, 1,500 and something of those, um, we've had 0% mortality, and this is a high-risk group getting COVID. Um, we've had you know, about 2.8% get uh, go to the emergency room and go home, and about 4.1% 4, 4 have gotten admitted. That's consistent with what the studies showed and much lower than you would expect in a high-risk group. So we believe they're working. I don't have a, a control group. We're, we're real-world experience, but it looks to be working. So if any of the people listening you know, get COVID, get diagnosed by their physician and meet one of those criteria, they should be saying to their physician, should I be getting those antibodies? Because we will be there and do our best to, to, to serve them with that. The last thing I'll talk about is the vaccine. And I'm sure you'll have some additional questions around that. We have two vaccines now since the last time we talked that are approved. Uh, the first of those was the uh, Pfizer vaccine. And the second of those is the Moderna vaccine. Pfizer is the one that requires, you know, minus 70 degrees Celsius. So ultra, ultra, ultra cold. So it's difficult and complicated. Uh, Moderna requires freezing, but not nearly at those levels. Um, that vaccine started flowing into Houston. And to date, as of week five of the distribution, uh, about 200 and I think it was 297,000 doses have come into the greater Houston region. That sounds great on one hand, but then you sit there and say, well, we have 7.2 million people in the greater Houston region. So it represents a very small fraction of the population. So what we're seeing right now is, you know, people who, you know, desperately want to get vaccine, understandably, with way, way, way too little vaccine supply still coming into the system. At Houston Methodist, we have vaccinated as of today over 38, prior to today, today we'll do another couple thousand, but uh, prior to today, we'd vaccinated over 38,000 people for a first dose. About 16,000 of those are employees. Another 10,000 plus of those are people in the 1A category. So physicians who are not our employees, physician office staff, hospice workers, fire, ambulance, police, you know, et cetera. Uh, and uh, then now we have vaccinated, we've vaccinated about 12,000 individuals over the age of 75. Um, we decided that the most important thing was to get to the most vulnerable as quickly as we could. Uh, and we began vaccinating over 75. We're hoping to move that age down soon. Um, but frankly, supply is the constraint. We could probably triple the number of people we're vaccinating each day 
if we got the supply in, but we're not, you know, unfortunately getting that much supply and that's just us. Um, I mean, in terms of what we could triple, others could add, you know, it, to that because what happened this past week as the supply went down to 30,000 doses coming to the city of Houston. So in five weeks, we've gotten roughly 300,000 doses, first doses. That doesn't include nursing homes. That's a, that's another venue, but for kind of the general public, um, only 30,000 this week. And the state, because of that constraining supply they've dealt with from the federal government, decided to designate 28 sites around the state as sort of the, uh, the hub sites in Houston. It is the city of Houston, the county of Harris County and Houston Methodist. They basically look to entities that are either large municipalities or hospital systems that had shown a track record of very rapidly getting vaccine um, to individuals. But that's a very, very, very small number of vaccines right now with the demand that is out there. And so um, we had a sign up on our on our website for the general public to sign up. In addition to some, you know, we'd already started inviting some of our 75 and up patients. We said, hey, come sign up if you're 65 and up. We had to take that site down within 12 hours because we had over 20,000 people signed up, you know, for a, a much smaller number of, than that of vaccine. We'll open that back up in the future as we get more vaccine. But I do think it may be several weeks before we see vaccine really start to kick up. So we know people are frustrated. I mean, we are doing everything we can to vaccinate as quickly as we possibly can. Um, when they get supply chain fixed kind of from the federal level and enough supply in, I'm highly confident that, I mean, if you look at that this week, almost everything's through those three providers. Well, I can tell you the other hospital systems are chomping at the bit to, 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 to do that pharmacy systems, you know, um, all the, you know, large uh, multi-site pharmacies are ready to go. When we look across the TMC and the county and city leadership, we feel confident we can vaccinate tens of thousands of people collectively a day, but not until that kind of supply is there. This week, we got 30,000 vaccines. So that's essentially 4,000 a day cumulatively that's coming in this week. So would you say, you talk, Kip talk, you've said a lot about supply not coming in. Is that were we expecting more? I mean, you, you heard the warp speed and all the things to be coming. So is it not coming? And what are your thoughts about or what are you experiencing why it's not coming maybe in the ways that you expected? I'm sure you're not the only one that is experiencing this. No, no, that's a widespread uh, concern. So, you know, I, I was looking yesterday, so my numbers may be slightly out of date, but 25, 26 million doses have been distributed across the U.S. and um, it, it's accelerating. So now the official number is about 8 million have been given. I actually think that number is almost certainly an underestimate because pretty much every state has struggled with kind of capturing the reporting um, for a whole host of reasons. So I think we're, we're better than that. Um, but it's also why you saw the state of Texas pivot. There were a lot of a lot of vaccine went out and it's not an easy process to do. And some got sat on for a couple of weeks. Um, what you're seeing now, really, if you think about it, as they've honed down and most of the supply goes to 28 hubs, those are all hubs that either are uh, uh, municipalities, counties, and, and cities that are turning on their ability to do this rapidly um, and haven't really been doing that much vaccinating, but I will tell you, have done so successfully. Both city and county are doing that very successfully with their first endeavors to do that. Or they are hospital systems, usually one per, per market, that has shown a track record of, you know, within days of getting vaccine, it's in someone's arm. It's a weekly distribution. So you kind of what we plan to do is receive it. And, you know, by the next time we get a shipment a week later, you know, essentially all of it's gone minus a little safety margin, you know, make sure we're not canceling appointments. Uh, and we've been able to do that, uh, you know, very effectively. I think what you're going to see over the next couple of weeks, certainly in Texas, is those, those providers where they did get vaccine and maybe it hasn't been going as quickly, they've now got a couple of weeks to catch up and basically do that. So I think you're going to continue to see these numbers ramp up quite significantly. Um, again, Houston, Houston, Greater Houston's received about 300,000 doses. If every one of those was in an arm, you know, that's still less than 5% of the population. Um, and so, you know, that's why so many people obviously still um, would like to get their vaccine. Put that in perspective, 65 and up in the Greater Houston region is I think pushing 900,000 individuals. And that's 
the second in line after, you know, hundreds of thousands of 1A fire workers, you know, frontline medical workers, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, this will start, I believe, accelerating, but not for a little while. I, I think what has happened at the federal level, but we don't have full transparency. There's been some issues with ramping up production. They held second doses for to match first doses. So like clockwork, our second dose showed up at week three from, from that first delivery. But those were sitting in a freezer somewhere at the federal level. So what you heard now with the with the administration sort of tran I mean, transition, Biden Biden team started saying, well, maybe we can do that and push out those two earlier and count on the supply chain ramping up. Uh, actually, uh, today, uh, the, the current administration said, yeah, we think that's a good idea and we're going to do that. So my understanding is we may see faster supply because they won't uh, hold back all of those. You know, what I tell people is, look, I think there's a lot of smart business school people who do optimization all the time, right? And that's an optimization question. Um, I'm quite sure you don't, if they deliver 10,000 to Houston Methods, we got 13,650 the first week. You don't have to hold all of those in a freezer at the federal level if you know every month, every week you're producing more but you probably need to hold some back to, to have that. And there's an optimal number. So I'm hoping that'll start accelerating uh, flow. Once it accelerates, we have the ability to triple what we're doing. I mean, literally next week, we could do triple what we're expecting to receive in supply just at Houston Methodist. And, you know, the county and city can ramp up and then there's all those other providers around. So this is ultimately not an ability to vaccinate question. Certainly now that there's been a few weeks to work out the kinks, this is now a get the vaccine into the front line and let's get it into people's arms issue. That's where the biggest issue rides. <clears throat> that is, <clears throat> excuse me, that is a federal, you know, kind of how things are getting the federal, the, the, the state basically requests and get and receives and then does the distribution. And I will say the state people that I work with I'm on the phone with them all the time or texting all the time, they've been really great to work with, um, really outstanding. Um, and everybody has you know, the, 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 the desire to move quickly and turn this pandemic down as quickly as possible at heart. I, I see that really across the board with everyone I work with at the hospital system, the city, the county, the state. Um, there's a lot of great people working on, on improving this. That's good. Matt, you have a question? Is the supply issue, um, number one, where, where are these vaccines uh, produced? Are they in the States? Are they other places? And then um, why is the supply kind of limited? Is it because we don't have the capacity in the laboratories to kind of crank out as much as we need? Like what's the, in terms of the supply chain, why, the, uh, why is it trickling in a sense? Yeah, I, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know all of the answers to that. You know, I don't have visibility into that. Um, I know Pfizer has two sites. One is in, uh, I think it's in Michigan, the other is in Belgium. Uh, I, I don't remember exactly where Moderna is being, being created, but you know, they, they, there were some, I think, um, probably unrealistic goals. Um, you know, for example, we'll distribute and vaccinate 20 million people before the end of the year. Well, you know, if a bunch of that vaccine gets received on December 30th, it's not getting vaccinated before the end of the year, right? I mean, like, as I described, I mean, any provider who's doing this right is going to take five, six, seven days to vaccinate. If you're on a weekly cadence of getting vaccine in, it wouldn't make sense to figure out how do you staff every dose into, you know, into an arm 24 hours later, and then everybody sits twiddling their thumbs for six days while you do that, you know, and so, so, you know, there's some built in one week delay. So by definition, probably a quarter plus of those doses that were getting distributed, you know, couldn't possibly have been vaccinated in 2019. Um, you know, I think then you saw a varying array. It is complicated to do this. I can't, I can't tell you how much, um, time and energy this has taken for my amazing teams of people, um, you know, who have worked tirelessly to get this going. And we've done well from the get-go, but I promise you every day we learn more, mm -hmm. we get more effective, we ramp up the number we're able to. And, you know, now it's, now we're at a point where we can confidently say it is a hundred percent, you know, supply constrained. Uh, and, you know, we could be doing at Houston Methodist alone about 30,000 first doses a week, um, you know, basically now, or certainly by Monday when we've got a, another few clinics opening up to do that. And we're going to get, if we get the same thing next week as this week, we'll get 10,725 doses. So wow. it's a lot, but it's about a third of what we could do. Hmm. And that doesn't include all the other providers and everybody else. So I do believe this will get better. I, my key messages to folks would be, you know, please be patient. I mean, there's a lot of great people working on this, you know, 
uh, perfection is the enemy of the good. Um, so, you know, our, our goal has been to get this out to people quickly. So, you know, sometimes, you know, that means, you know, we have a dose left at the end of the day and we get it into somebody's arm who isn't necessarily the first person you would have given it to, but otherwise we would waste it. And we don't waste a single dose. For example, you know, when we rapidly were told right after Christmas that we can now vaccinate patients because we've been told don't do that yet. And we were all talking to the state and to the state's credit, they're listening. They did a great job doing that. We said to them, you know, if we're restrained on kind of only the 1As who are coming in and we're doing everything we can to get them and, you know, it's just a little slower than that, you know, get rid of vaccine in a week pace, let us then give it to patients and to their credit, that's exactly what they did. Well, we looked at that the week between Christmas and New Year's and said, okay, we have 3000 slots sitting open because we weren't allowed to do 1B. Now we have them open. So we quickly invited, um, I'll tell you what, um, and it's a terrible pun, but uh, those links go viral in a split second. Yes. Um, you know, and we learned a lot about how do you control that? How do you make sure a bunch of 30 year olds don't sign up when you're trying to vaccinate 75 year olds? And um, we learned so much that week as we evolved and, you know, we have a process in place that's very tight now and not, uh, not having you know that happen. Um, we've been continually inviting our patients who are part of the Houston Methodist orbit, that's anyone who's touched anywhere in our system over the last two years. And then with being designated as a hub, we put up uh, you know, a public site to sign up. And as I said, in, in you know, less than 12 hours, 20,000 people signed up. You know, we're getting 10,725 doses. You know, so yeah. we said, okay, stop. Um, let's just tell people, you know, right now it's full. We'll start the orderly process of figuring out how to prioritize among those, make sure it's the right people. The oldest of the older people, for instance, who are at higher risk than the younger of the plus 65. So we can get the most impact and protect the most people and families and lives as possible. We're also very um, purposefully looking at you know, disparities in healthcare and making sure that this is something that is distributed fairly and equitably across all populations that, you know, that we serve in Houston and all aspects of Houston. So, you know, for example, um, you know, we know where some very hard hit zip codes are. We know where there are zip codes where COVID has been really high and that have had, you know, low socioeconomic uh, uh, status, um, oftentimes disproportionate uh, individuals who are Latinx or African-American, those communities have had a very hard hit early on with a lot of deaths, a lot of cases. We need to make sure we don't have on the tail end a tragedy of those communities being the last to get vaccinated and having a lot of deaths and a lot of cases. And so we're working very purposefully with city, with county, with Houston Methodist to do everything we can to make sure this is as equitable as possible. But I'll come back to my comment about perfection is the enemy of the good. This is a time where, you know, sitting in a having vaccines sitting in a, in a freezer doesn't do anybody any good. So we're pushing and pressing as fast as we can. I talk all the time with colleagues around the country and I count my blessings that we're in Texas because most states have not started vaccinating people over any age. Um, you know, they have, they've defined 1B nationally as some other frontline workers. They are not going to patients yet. I can't tell you the number of wow. CEOs I talked to on a big call last week who are sitting there saying, I've got stuff in the freezer and the environment is so punitive in my state, if I give vaccine to somebody that doesn't meet the criteria, um, you know, people can lose their licenses, for instance, if they give vaccine in those situations. And so, you know, we're sort of sitting on it and we're pleading with our states to give us more flexibility. I will give our state credit. They did that early. And I feel, you know, very good about uh, being in Texas and being able to, to provide vaccine like that. That was one question that came in from someone had to do with, and, and I, I, they must have heard it online or somewhere, but about our vaccines being thrown away because they're not being used. I know Absolutely not, here, not. I, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I can't speak, of course, for the world, yeah. but um, I can tell you, and I've seen some, some people asking me questions. Hey, I heard Houston Methodist threw some vaccines out. Absolutely not. I mean, we have, so the Moderna comes in a 10 dose vial and the Pfizer comes in a five dose vial. We literally at the end of the day at any vaccination site, somebody's sitting there looking at how many people are left. I mean, they're all scheduled appointments, yeah. but people don't show, you know, so it's never precise, right? Um, and looking at it, and I mean, I, I remember the other night we had uh, one person left in line. It was a Moderna day. So we would have to crack a vial for that one person. And we basically, you know, they weren't very happy with us, but we sat down with them, said, uh, 
if we give you this, it's going to cause all sorts of difficulty. We would have found nine, but it probably would have taken some staff an hour or two to go yeah. do that. Um, and we said, listen, you come back tomorrow, First move line. you to the front of the line, you'll get your Moderna tomorrow. It's that level of attention to detail Good. to make sure this is done right. It's one of the reasons why we do large sites rather than a huge distributed network of small sites is that it's much easier to manage that. It's much easier to make those decisions from a senior level. It's much easier to get pharmacy support because these are really complicated vaccines, particularly the Pfizer to administer. All right, well, we had a few questions from some folks. This uh, We'll call this the Mark Boom lightning round. <laughs> these should be real. These actually should be really easy. Do I get a buzzer? Yeah, you get a buzzer. Do I get a buzzer? No, not at all. We need the, some graphics on the, this. Yeah, side. these should be really, yeah, I'll tell you if you get it wrong. <laughs> these should be really easy for you. But I think, and some of them, I think I know the answer to myself, but, and, or we've talked about before, but, you know, these cycle through over and over and over again. Sure. And the one is, is this an annual vaccine uh, like the flu or a one time or in every 12 years, or do we not even know at this point? We don't know. Um, we, we think it's going to last more than a year from most of what they're looking at right now, but we don't know how much the, the either, either the immune response will last or whether there might be mutation in the virus like with the flu that would require that over time. Thankfully, we've not seen a mutation in the virus that appears to affect the ability of the vaccines to work, including the much talked about UK strain and everything. Yeah, and that else. was the next question is we, we hear about the mutations of the virus. And does that mean you need a new vaccine? But what I hear you saying is this vaccine works for this, even the mutations we've seen. It. We believe so. It's not that's not a 100 percent answered question, but all the studies have been very, very positive to suggest that 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 variant and the South African variant, for example, that are being talked about are covered by this vaccine. So, Both of the vaccine. Yeah, and that this we've I think we sort of talked about this before. Should people with known medical problems get the vaccine? And what about pregnant women? So let me take medical problems. In the vast, vast, vast majority of cases, absolutely. In fact, people with known medical problems, you know, are the people who yeah. need it most and are at the highest risk. If in doubt, always talk to your physician. That's a quick conversation. Um, Pregnancy is a tough one. Pregnant women were not excluded from the trials. So there were some pregnant women in the trials. Um, there were not enough of them to get solid, you know, full powered statistical analysis of those pregnant women, but there were no, to my knowledge, untoward events at all connected with pregnancy there. So there is some experience giving this to pregnant women. Um, the, most of the, if you look at the, the all the different professional societies, I um, mean, you know, who advise OBGYNs, for example, they're essentially saying this is a discussion between a physician and uh, a, an expected mother. And so if you are pregnant, I would urge you have that conversation with your physician um, and talk about the pros and cons of, of getting the vaccine. What do you say to people who are nervous about getting a vaccine or reluctant to get a vaccine? You know, um, let me tell you, now we're talking 8 million or so doses across the United States. I mean, we, we alone have uh, given about, you know, just under 40,000 first doses and uh, a little over 10,000 second doses. So, you know, we've actually physically vaccinated 50,000 times. Um, we are seeing really consistent, very safe, you know, experience that is consistent with the trials. These are incredibly safe vaccines um, by every metric. Um, you know, can I promise that there's not a one in 10 million or, you know, of course not. But the, there's no indication of that in any data at this point that I've seen. And the risk of the virus, both to the individual, to the people around them, and of course, societally, to all of the horrible things that it's created, so far outweigh that, that for the vast majority, and I mean almost everybody in society, uh, and I'll, I'll say 16 and up because it hasn't been studied under 16 years old. So um, I think it's gonna be fine under that age group, but we don't have those studies yet. So anybody 16 and up, almost everybody in the world really should feel confident about getting the vaccine. Really, there's no reason not to. The only absolute contraindications right now have to do with people with history of severe allergies to injectables. Um, we watch people who've had shellfish allergy and a couple of things a little more closely, but it's not a contraindication. We talked about pregnancy where, you know, that is a individualized dis discussion. Um, past that, there's going to be very few scenarios where a physician is going to tell someone that they're, 
their medical status will prevent them. I'm not saying there's none, but there will be very few for the vast majority of people. I will tell you, everyone in my family, when their time comes up, will get vaccinated. Um, I'm blessed because you know my wife's a pediatrician and she's led the vaccine efforts at Texas Children's, so she was literally among the first people there. Um, I got my vaccine after we'd already done nine, ten thousand people at Houston Methodist. Um, I do practice, still see patients. I'm obviously on all the all the COVID wards and other things all the time. We both had great experiences. My 24-year-old daughter is a medical student, so as a medical student, frontline, she got vaccinated. So we've already kind of been moving through the Boom family. And um, I mean, I will tell you, I will never recommend to our employees, to the public, to others, something I wouldn't be comfortable with leading myself. And in all of our clinical experts, scientific experts, strongly believe this is the right thing to do. And frankly, to turn down this pandemic, I think we all really, frankly, have a responsibility to each other to do this, to bond together as a community. And we can really make that latter half of 2021 so remarkably better than what we'll have dealt with the previous 18 months. I hope so. Uh, should children get the vaccination? So the, um, so the Pfizer vaccine has been studied in 16 years old and up. The Moderna vaccine, 18 and up. So it's they're both approved at either 16 or 18. We don't know the answer below. I, I My youngest daughter is 15. My wife's a pediatrician. We have tried five, six times already, unsuccessfully still, to get her enrolled in a trial. So to give you an idea, at least of our own personal beliefs yeah. and our own personal confidence, we would love our daughter to be in one of those trials to answer that question where she, you know, she'd probably have a 50-50 or a, sometimes there are two to one chance of getting the vaccine versus a placebo. That's how strongly we believe in it. Um, uh, what you're going to see, I think, is this sort of uh, teen, pre, just preteen into teenage you know, years I think we're going to get an answer in the next two, three months. Um, I don't know that exactly, but that's what we're kind of hearing from the manufacturers. So sometime this spring, at which point they'd be turned loose for vaccination, which would be great because, of course, we could get a lot of those individuals vaccinated well before school. Um, I'm hearing kind of the next age band, whatever that ends up being, 5 to 11 or something like that, likely results much more much later though I've, i'm reading some hope that it would be in time for the fall but it's probably a ways a ways down this is typical with uh, these kinds of studies they'll they'll sort of step down in age that's that's very um, normal for them to do that right now you know thankfully obviously our children have by and large done very well when they um, get this um, we don't want them to get this of course i worry about long-term effects but other than some, you know, rare cases, and of course, some children who have immunological issues or other underlying health issues, children usually breeze right through this. Um, so, you know, they'll still be kind of a, a reservoir would be the term in epidemiologic terms, but they would still be a place where the disease may be passing around, even if we get most adults vaccinated. But the need for hospitalization, the need for, you know, the risk of death, the risk of severe illness, the risk of a child infecting a grandparent or those kinds of things will plummet when that happens. Um, the demand on hospitals will plummet. I mean, if you look at the pediatric hospitals in town, they have small numbers, not zero, but they have small numbers of patients with COVID, you know, in, in their hospitals at this point. So, um, you know, the big push right now is get the adult population, particularly the most vulnerable adult population vaccinated. If you've already had COVID, do you get a vaccine? Yes, all of the recommendations are you should still get vaccinated. With both, uh, both of the uh, vaccines, we're seeing uh, antibody levels in your plasma are far higher in people who got vaccinated than in people who just had native infections. So they seem to work a lot better than even the native infections. So we believe uh, you're more likely to have durable immunity. So um, go ahead, um, go get vaccinated. Perfect. And then another one, which we've talked about a lot, and I think I know the answer to is, will we still need to wear masks and distance physically once the vaccines begin to roll out? I think until we get to a herd immunity status or pretty close, uh, masks most definitely, avoidance of really large social gatherings most definitely are going to be with us. So realistically, I think, you know, Fauci and others talk six to nine months as a realistic target to reach herd immunity kind of levels with vaccination. When I go back to kind of, you know, we all have to be patient. It's been, I literally just, we just got our five, our fifth week supply, the beginning of fifth week supply, you know, this week. And you're talking about something that's, you know, somewhere between 26 and 39 weeks to get done. Um, 
behind target right now, as we talked about, but nonetheless, we're still talking a long time for that. Um, I think you need to expect that well into the middle of the year or longer, masks are gonna be widely required. Um, we may see that start to get loosened up hopefully in the latter part of the year, you're still gonna, I mean, I don't think we're gonna be 100% back to normal in the fall, but I do think it's reasonable to expect with masks and some other things that it'll feel way, way more normal. Um, you know, people will begin to be able to plan a vacation, maybe not everywhere, right? Cause you're gonna see um, some worldwide issues happen around, you know, Europe, some of, some of the Far East, um, the U.S. are going to get vaccinated, you know, along before many other parts of the world do. So there'll be some, some travel things to think about with that. But I think you'll see that start to loosen up later this year as well. We're planning a trip to the Holy Land at the end of October, November. Mm -hmm. We'll see. <laughs> I think it's possible. I mean, I, you know, I, well, I, we've no already way moved it twice. On we, saying we, you're good to go, but, uh, but uh, I think it's, it's, it's very possible that that will be very safe to so, do. Yeah, so originally, originally we were supposed to go last March and uh, actually the end of March. So when all of this was breaking forth right when everyone was like, are we going to go the do this? Going? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we didn't, yeah. of course, but we didn't know. It you made was the unfolding. Right yeah. We didn't know what decision to make. All right. Just two more real quick. And then. And, and I'll just say one thing, Israel leads the world right now in That's getting right. vaccinated. So they have been blowing and going, whatever they're doing right. So a lot of countries are really studying what they've been able to do. So that one do. might work so out, but not, they, so, not so sure about going to Jordan to see Petro. We might have to wait on that one. We'll have yeah, to I, I don't, I, I've not heard that talked about. I don't know that detail. I just know that hey, Israel- on the next is, podcast, will you make sure and know where Jordan, the country of Jordan ranks <laughs> falls on the vaccine the... fallout, please? I would like I'm sorry, I'll study, I'll study better <laughs> for you. You're such a disappointment, Mark. All right. <laughs> the, 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 the two others, one I think is man, helping people manage expectations. Yeah. And I don't think you will know the exact answer to this. I don't expect you to. But someone was saying, if you are, of course, not in that 1A or the 1B over 65, but let's just say you're between 40 and 65 or somewhere, what is the guesstimate? I, I think just they're managing their expectations. What's the timeline mm -hmm. out there in the future that you say, okay, I'm 50, relatively healthy, I'm not breaking in the line with anybody. I'm waiting my turn. But w when when is that time for me or my wife? I think that the healthy 50-year-old that you're describing, April, um, you know, end of March, April, hopefully, um, you know, um, I think the 50-year-old with some medical conditions, you know, hopefully kind of uh, end of February into March. Um, I think most 65-plus-year-olds, if supply comes up, I mean, all of this is dependent on supply, but the capacity is there and they tell us the supply should eventually be there. You know, we could be getting to the, to the, 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 the willing and the ones who want to get it first, you know, towards end of February into March. So, you know, these are overlapping. They're not totally sequential back to that, you know, perfection's the enemy of the good. At some point, as you trickle down in a group, you really have to start the next group or, you know, you just, you, you don't, you don't optimize. Um, what we're seeing is when we invite a group of people, you know, now remember, the group of people we have in our database probably overlap with other people's databases. So I don't have the answer to who got vaccinated. I have the answer to who responded to our, our invitations. Um, you know, we're seeing about 40% uh, or so, uh, you know, say yes. Now, I think there's a whole chunk of wait and see people out there. There's some people that are pretty reluctant out there. And then in the, in the data I'm describing, many people may have seen a doctor at one of the other hospitals, right? So, you know, by, by all means that, you know, people, um, across different hospitals. And so some of those people are likely getting invited by more than one. So there's a lot of dynamics with that. Um, within the hospital population of, of employees, you know, we're going much higher. We'll tell you, and this is a really important statistic for everyone to hear, 91 plus percent of our physicians have been vaccinated right now. Okay. So, you know, more than nine in 10 physicians vote with their feet, led by example, said, yep, this is safe. And I think that's a really important message is that the medical community is running towards this, getting vaccinated. And if, you know, all of our doctors look at that and, you know, not all of those doctors are on a COVID unit, right? Many of them are seeing patients in their offices. I was, they're all sitting there saying, I've looked at the science, I've looked at the data, this is safe for me. Um, and in fact, you know, wishing they could get it for their families and actively, um, you know, coaching and, and teaching their patients um, and counseling their patients to get it. So when you hear that, I hope that gives you a measure of confidence. It you does know, for me, but you know, as well as I do, I mean, doctors <laughs> have been wearing masks in hospital 
forever and sure. say it worked, and their people didn't think that was true, even though doctors <laughs> said it. All right, last one. There's been a lot of talk, or at least in the news, this that the numbers of COVID deaths are exaggerated. Mm. Uh, your thoughts on that as we see the number on the news channels and all that people say, and it's not nearly that many people. Some say it's more than that many people. Just your thoughts on that. Yeah. That one pains me because, you know, I, I, you talk to any of our employees here who unfortunately have been at the bedside of people as they died and serving as conduits with their loved ones through an iPad, you know, so they could say their goodbyes. Um, we have seen death like we've never seen before. I mean, it's it's very sad. And from a data-driven perspective, if you go to the CDC, excess deaths, I mean, it's crystal clear. Whether you're counting COVID, not counting COVID, deaths are at a far higher rate this year and since the start of this pandemic than they have been, you know, in many, many years. And they're far above the models they typically would follow. Sometimes we'll see a little blip in January in a normal year for the flu because we'll have a bad flu season and it'll, we'll have that, you know, excess deaths from the flu. Here we are seeing that from early March and it's gone on every single week and continues to go on. And if you look at the number of official COVID cases against the excess deaths that are reported, the COVID cases don't actually account for it. Now, is that because we're undercounting COVID? Maybe. Is that because people have died for other reasons this year because of you know all the things that have happened uh, through the COVID, whether it was closing down hospitals, whether it's depression and suicide and many other things? It, it's probably a little bit of all of the above, but I have zero doubt that we have had severe numbers of deaths um, across our country and across the world from, from COVID. And it's, it's a very sad, situation and it's one of those questions that that honestly makes me sad as well yeah i i totally agree um what what have i not asked you or what would you say to people that just as far as highlighting we've talked about a lot of things and kind of what's on the top of our but what, what have i what have we not asked that you just would like to lift up to people or maybe just kind of what's on the top of your list these right now sure I think, you know, what can we all do together? Because when we look at the projections, we've got, you know, potentially a few more weeks of growth and it's starting to get really hairy. Okay. I mean, I, you know, we peaked out about this in the summer and it was really difficult. I mean, 35 to 40% of our beds being used for a patient with COVID, we need to care for the rest of the community. And we're already having to, you know, defer things, delay things. Um, you know, we're doing that as safely as we possibly can. I really don't want to be, you know, I don't want my teams to be experiencing, you know, working in a hospital where 50% or 60% of our beds are being used with COVID, which has happened in other communities. Um, we need to bend this and vaccines are the best news ever, but they're not going to start bending it till mid February, beginning of March, best case that they become kind of that, that counterwind that COVID is sailing into that kind of holds it back. And so the answer for the next few weeks, you know, we hopefully have gotten, you know, the holidays out of our, out of our system, all the things that happen around there, New Year, New Year's resolution, just hunker down. Um, I'm not saying don't go to school. I'm not saying don't go to work. I'm not saying don't go to structured, careful worship. I'm saying don't do all the other things that have been biting us as a community. We, we don't have indefinite capacity, um, you know, to keep doing this as a system without having people harmed. And if mm. we can do that, we can bend this curve in the next two, three weeks. And if we can bend the curve, that should hopefully be the last bend, right? From there on out, it may take months, but it should always be a story of, well, it's lower, you know, a week later than it was a week before. And that's because of vaccines and because we will have gotten over the hump like we did before. Um, the last time we got over a hump, it, uh, we got to our low point uh, within two months. And, you know, so we were at 750-ish, you know, mid-July, mid-September at Methodist, we were down to 143 at our low point. And then we started creeping back up and that's what we're dealing with now. If we can turn this corner in a two month period, that was without vaccines we could bring that down, add vaccines on that, and we can actually start having, it's not gonna be a normal second quarter, but we can have a second quarter where at least we put that worry about, you know, so many deaths, so many people in hospitals behind us, and then we really focus on getting everybody vaccinated uh, and getting protected, and then how do we safely start easing up the restrictions? Wouldn't that be a great place to be in about 90 days? Yeah. It would be, but the most important thing is you know, let's work together to get there um, before the vaccines kick in. Because if we wait for the vaccines, we're going to regret it. Yeah, you mentioned uh, structured worship. We've had 
conversations and separate calls and things about this. You know, at Chapelwood, we we wear masks, we separate with the pews, we separate with the families, physical distance, then ingress and egress. You know, we don't gather inside, no that kind of stuff. We don't have, I mean, singers that we do have are very much spaced out. What I've heard you say is that those structured environments are okay as long as we keep uh, careful finger on making sure that we're following that mm. structure. We're not like some churches that don't wear a mask and have their choirs and all that, but th- those are still okay at this point for you as long as we keep them structured, correct? I, I will tell you, I believe that structured environments um, work. Um, you know, I mean, we, we have a structured environment in a hospital system and physician offices where people come to work day in, day out caring for patients and obviously have a higher probability of interacting with somebody with COVID in that setting than, than you would uh, in a church setting, most likely. And they're safe. I mean, where, where we see our people get infected, they're getting infected kind of at the same rate as the community when they're out and about, right? And so I really believe those structured environments work. It is the unstructured, um, you know, social gatherings, other things like that. Of course, the, the, the virus is everywhere. I'm not saying that's the only place, but those are really where we see these super spreader events where we see large numbers of people sometimes infected, where I get the phone call that says, hey, I was at such and such, and then I'm arranging for 40 different people, you know, to get their their testing done on a Monday morning, because on Saturday, these people did this and then found out Sunday, one of the people there was sick. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that are biting us. And if we can all just have that self-discipline that love for each other to hold off just another month to two at most for those things. I actually think we're going to get to a point there when we can start safely advancing, you know, before, you know, before too long, as opposed to if we let it get out of control, we're going to end up with the saddest, most difficult days right before the light comes of, you know, vaccines kicking in. And I think that's just a sad outcome. I, that's what I hope and pray doesn't happen. Yeah, me too. Uh, you know, we talked about the, uh, the holidays and families, I've heard so many cases. It's really hit home a lot more around mm-hmm. my my circle than early in the summer and before. And a lot of people I know that whether they were sort of COVID, no, I wouldn't say COVID deniers, but COVID down players or people who are really seriously trying to protect themselves, but they still went to family. They still did things. And I've heard of so many situations where families have had it and people have had it and just really scary situations of that rise. So I think the holiday deal is real. I mean, Mm -hmm. I went to be with my family, probably wasn't the smartest thing to do in the world. And we kind of had a scare because then later someone had it and did it and we got to, you know, I mean, so we've been through that. Um, But I'm with you. How can we pray for you and your family Mm -hmm. and your staff? Well, thank you for asking. I, th- I think just pray for strength um, and uh, perseverance, I think, for these wonderful people um, who are working on the front lines and pray that we turn this corner together, that we as a community come together and do that um, so that these individuals, frankly, can, you know, return to their lives of normalcy. Because I'll tell you, there's not a healthcare uh, employee in a hospital system, doctor's office, et cetera, who hasn't had you know, the year they will never forget. I know we will all never forget this year, but, you know, they didn't have a stay-at-home period. They didn't have a sit-at-home. They had a, I'm working on the front lines day in, day out, day in, day out. They're tired. They're exhausted. They're, um, hold them up, prop them up, um, you know, uh, have God, you know, ask God to to really give them the strength to, to hang in there because we're, that end is in sight. But it's, you know, oftentimes when the end is in sight, it gets the hardest, right, to to, to really persevere and keep doing the things they're doing. Well, well, we are going to definitely be praying for you. And I'm going to ask Matt to have just a quick prayer for you and for your staff right here before we sign off and before we let you go get back to uh, to your daily task. Will you pray for Mark? Thank you. That. Yeah, sure. Let's pray. God, we want to thank you so much for Mark and for his family, for the staff at Methodist Hospital. And we pray in the name of Jesus that you would give Mark the strength that he needs, his staff, all of those that are on the front lines. We want to say thank you. Thank you for their selflessness, for the way that they keep showing up and leaning in towards these dark days. And God, we'd ask that there would be a power greater than themselves that would sustain them, defend them on every side. And would you go before them in these coming days? Thank you for Mark, for his wisdom, for his ability to articulate these intricate details. And God, we'd ask that you would um, you would strengthen him today. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen.
Thank you, Mark, for always being with us. Everybody always loves when you're here because they feel like they're getting the the best information. So you are, we are very grateful for you. Thank you, you, my friends. Take care. I'll see you. My pleasure. Blessings to both of you. Thank you so much. Well, did you learn anything? (laughs) It's really, you you see certain people in certain roles and you realize right time, right person, right place, you know? For such a time as this. Yeah. Yeah, I always say calling, um, you know, vocational calling, there's three legs to the stool. I always tell people that there is, there's giftedness, there's need, and there's passion or desire. And sometimes, like sometimes you have a oh, passion yeah. for something, but yeah. you don't have the giftedness for it. Like I had a passion to be, you know, a rock and roll singer or a professional football player, but didn't have the giftedness for it. And then sometimes you can have the giftedness for something. You say, I have the gift and the passion, but the need's not there. Yeah. So, But when those three oh, things align, yeah. uh, like someone like Mark, um, the unique leadership, the medical expertise, and then just the the demeanor, the personality, oh, non anxious presence. Yeah, and I I yeah. think uh, no matter what you th- where you fall on the spectrum about all of this, when you listen to him, you you recognize this is someone I can listen to and trust. That's right. I think. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's really helpful to me to know you know when the ninety one percent of all physicians have already had the vaccine, that folks are running towards it in the medical community medical community not running away from it that if he could have his 15 year old in a trial he would like there's this and these folks are sitting they're marinating in data Mm -hmm. you know and you just realize that at some level this is about us i mean in our context it really is a spiritual um um, exercise for the common good you know this is when body soul all these things get integrated and to say yeah you know um yeah, it's also amazing to know that they have a much larger <clears throat> capacity to like vaccinate people than there are vaccinations. Yeah, and, you know, I don't. I I will say a couple of things. It, it's disappointing to me that it's not rolling out like we expected or like mm. like it was said that it would. But I will also say, having now been sit, sitting in the seat where I sit, yeah, versus where maybe when I was an associate or at a different position, that this is a huge, massive undertaking. Yeah. And to think that you're just going to like Crank plan it. it and it's going to go off without a hitch. I mean, that's just not the way life works. Yeah. I mean, the, the best laid plans always have a hiccup. It made me think about these systems in, in, in MIT graduate school. They have a thing called the beer game and it's a distribution, logistical distribution mm-hmm. system. And it talks about the delays in a system that are just naturally, you have to understand how they work. Yeah, and yeah. if you don't have, and look, we got great logistical people right. like doing this yeah. And, yeah. Then, and we still have issues. I mean, you're talking about a mat, you're talking about 340 million minus the children, people that you're trying to vaccinate. Yeah. Yeah. You don't just flip a switch on that. <laughs> I hope though, even though they're behind, maybe they can catch up mm. to the timeline. Yeah. yeah. It, I, I was happy to know that they're prepared though for that. They can handle more. It's a lot better than flipping that, and they can't handle it. And that's it. just Methodist. So yeah. think about Memorial CBS. Herman, <laughs> uh, any, yeah. any other hospital around. Yeah. Uh, I'm John Stevens. And I'm Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy.